0: As we more explicitly put ourselves in the presence of God through Jesus Christ, as we contemplate his true presence, as we always do, using sentiments and a prayer of his own apostles, we humbly ask Jesus to increase our faith, our trust, our love. This plea addressed to the tabernacle takes on a special urgency given the challenges, to put it mildly, that the people of God face with this flaring up or this greater awareness of clerical scandal it would have been easier for me to elaborate and to meditate on sanctification of work turning work into prayer since it's September the beginning of the school year on the heels of Labor Day the main characteristic of the holy family was that they were ordinary and they engaged in work jesus and his father joseph as carpenters and the blessed virgin mary as a homemaker they give us powerful lessons on the value and the calling to turn our ordinary activities especially our work into prayer but we need to read the signs of the times and bring christ into both our joys and sorrows every believer every follower of christ is undergoing a certain degree of sorrow because the face of Jesus Church's mystical body is tarnished by the sins of those who more directly participate in Jesus high priesthood where we we priests act in the Person of Christ, we can forgive sins, and body and blood of Christ comes down from heaven through this substantial change of bread and wine when the priest or bishop celebrates Holy Mass. We ask you, Jesus, to enlighten us saint paul has taught heavily guided by the holy spirit that the foolishness of god is infinitely wiser than worldly wisdom the wisdom of the world and right now we need that light because Serious sins, crimes of priests, bishops, strike at the heart of our hope. They baptize your children. They visit you when you're seriously ill they attend to your loved ones in their dying moments they hear confessions they unlock the secrets of conscience and impart divine forgiveness The sick or anointed and so these difficulties are not the difficulties or the moral flaws and sins of a movie producer or an athlete or a business executive or a politician, but someone who is called to give the people of God a witness of Jesus Christ and some have failed in egregious ways. That produces sorrow in all of us. But let's capture the grace of this moment. St. Augustine, that former serious sinner, speaking from the experience of the mercy of God, who became one of the Church's greatest saints and theologians, teaches that god draws much good out of evil if there is renewal if there is repentance let's bring the gospel to our prayer and the eucharistic discourse when for the first time jesus Lost a significant portion of his disciples. they underwent for way different reasons, but nevertheless they underwent a severe crisis of faith. They did not want to go beyond the wisdom of the world, and they didn't want to accept what seemed to be the foolishness of God, that they would have to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man in a sacramental manner. I read, Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who those were that did not believe and who it was that should betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. And here is A culminating point in this segment of the Eucharistic Discourse, and Jesus poses the question to you and me, Jesus said to the Twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we turn? You have the words of everlasting life. We tell our Lord in the intimacy of our hearts, this is a hard saying. This revelation of clerical sin, it's a hard saying. And Jesus asks us, will you turn away? No, we will not. Because the church is not about a priest, a bishop, the Church is about Jesus Christ. And the Church, is a medium, a sacrament, as taught in the Second Vatican Council, it's a sacrament through which we receive those seven sacraments, which are seven intimate encounters with Christ. Obviously, the credibility of the priesthood has taken a severe dip. We want to use this as a special occasion of grace, special occasion of renewal. The Lord's always trying to reel us in. And we tell him, it's a hard say. I've got to look at you. As we... Carry on this conversation, albeit a bit painful We look at the teachings of the Church Originating in the teachings of St. Paul Who compares the Church to a perfect bride He says that the Church Is perfect Perfectly immaculate Without the stain of sin without wrinkle, as the perfect bride. Would believe that, but that does not square with what we are hearing, the bad news we're getting. But it does. We want to make sure that our faith and our reason are not in contradiction, and they should never be, because the light of reason and the light of faith come from the same source, same divine source. How do I reconcile this teaching of the Church being perfect and immaculate and exceedingly pleasing to God with these scandals that keep emerging? We keep our eyes fixed on our Lord, because that's what this is all about. Let's look more closely. The founder of the Church is perfect. He's the Son of God-made man, Jesus Christ. The soul of the Church, the life force of the Church, is the third divine person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. All willed by God the Father. The truth the Church teaches as Church is in total uniformity of 2,000 plus years of teaching. The truth with regard to faith and morals, declarations of articles of faith, are truths that liberate, truths that save, truths that convert, truths that purify. The grace coming out of the sacraments is perfect. What does sanctifying grace do? But unite us to Jesus Christ and cause an indwelling Of the Holy Spirit. Each sacrament makes Christ present in a very special way. The Holy Eucharist being in a class all unto itself because it's a celebration of the literal presence of Jesus and the literal presence of his redemptive sacrifice. That's all perfect. Now I'll go on to say that. An honest judgment of the church, even on a human level, is not to judge the church by those who do not live by the teachings of the gospel, all of the teachings, but by those who do. Because those who do are the stars of the church. The main characters, the protagonists, and we call them saints Most are not officially canonized And no human being is perfect For sure But we see a perfecting force Transforming the human person And we see the human person approaching a perfection on the order of goodness and love. We could take the liberty to say that life force coming out of the church is perfect. Lord, what should be my attitude? What can I do? Let's be rest assured we could do a lot. As they say in modern parlance, what I do could be a game-changer. I know there's encouragement about writing and speaking up, and that has its role. But let's get to the heart of the matter. Perhaps I could share an experience of close to a half a century ago. I recall my first exposure to a center of Day in the New York metropolitan area in New Jersey. That. Young people my age, these were turbulent times of the 70s, were praying before the Blessed Sacrament, would pray the rosary. And uh, I finally inquired, what's so special about this place that is getting the best out of some of my buddies? Which is pretty uncharacteristic. I didn't think that my buddies were capable of holding a rosary in their hand. And a couple of individuals say, well, there's a saint behind this. He's still alive. And his name is Jose Maria Scriva. And we call him the Father, because he's the founder. And I was very curious. I said, Is he a real saint? And they said, Yeah, we think he is. I said, Would I know that? He said, I think you would. Shortly after. I started to be approached about the founder, asking me if I could commit myself to praying for him, and a number of occasions I said, well, why would a saint need my prayer? I, I should ask him to pray for me, and they finally told me that he's undergoing crushing suffering. that causes him to weep, especially in the celebration of Mass. At the same time, he's happy and cheerful, but in tremendous moral pain, spiritual pain, that is actually crushing him. And they explained to me that the trials of the Church were causing him much suffering. And what was implied was that our Lord in the twilight of his life was calling him to the cross in a special way where he was profoundly moved to make reparation for the mass defections in the priesthood and the religious life crisis of doctrine and that made him suffer intensely. The fact that Individuals were not getting nourished with the truth of church teaching and the life of Christ through the sacraments. I have to admit, I was perplexed why someone would be in such pain and even agony over the situation of the church. With a bit more spiritual maturity, one could get a glimmer of why church is the mystical body of christ it's the sacrament it's the doorway to get to jesus christ and messages would come from him that the response is a more intense union with our lord i would say through three avenues one is a ceaseless prayer life in fact he received he'd get this intermittently special inspirations from the holy spirit that he called locutions he would get them in latin from anywhere in the bible and this one came from isaiah this is pretty well known it was and cessas pray without ceasing that other avenue is the cross and life of penance Third Avenue is the witness of the heart of Jesus. He was very hopeful as well. He was moved by the Holy Spirit to do a novena on behalf of the church in 1970. And I was able to actually have a conversation with one of the men who accompanied him in his novena. This gentleman said that he, Jose Maria was riveted on the image of Mary and that he was completely immersed in her on his knees. He wasn't a health, healthy man. He wasn't a strong man for an hour and a half. And he wept for seven of the nine days of Novena. During that seventh day, he stopped weeping And announced joyfully, the Blessed Mother heard him Way later on, he included um, The fall of communism in the former Soviet Union and the Satellite communist countries And that also Is an invitation to go to the Blessed Mother, clamor to her. Another way of looking at the Church, as I share my ethnic bias, I see wine as a very Catholic beverage for many reasons, but I like to look at the Church as a bottle of $1,000 wine. Exquisite wine. If a bottle is going to contain a thousand dollars worth of wine, the bottle should match the contents. You can't actually have the contents of a thousand dollar bottle of wine in a in a jar, in a nondescript jar. The vessel does not invite you to the contents. The contents are exquisite. When the bottle is artistically made with a very artistic label, perhaps a jazzed-up map of the province in Italy or France where that wine was made, you're invited to drink that. Very special wine, spectacular wine. But let's say the same wine is in a bottle that is chipped, crawling with ants and worms, with foul odor emitting from the bottle. We would be less inclined to drink that wine. We wouldn't be inclined at all. We'd be missing out, but that bottle is holding us back. At times, without exaggerating. The church, which is both vessel and content, the content is without stain of sin, it's perfect. But as St. Paul says, those contents are contained in vessels of clay. And that's what's going on. If you don't like wine, we could use the example of a Rembrandt painting. We appreciate the beauty of a Rembrandt painting when it's in a high quality museum with mahogany paneled walls, with furniture in good taste, with a nice, clean Persian rug all right, the painting matches the ambiance, the surroundings. I probably wouldn't appreciate a Rembrandt if it was on the floor of my garage. Again, I need that vessel, the trappings, to remind me of the value of the contents. We are all vessels of clay, but let's strive with the grace of the Holy Spirit through our quest for holiness, that we are vessels that attract people to the contents. We'll never match the contents, but we can attract them. That's what a holy person does. Again, Jesus, what is my response? Well, first of all, a general trust in our Lord. We have to face our Lord. Let's not look at priests, bishops, laity, foibles that have marked the entire history of the church. Let's look at him. And when we look at him, we realize that his church reflects the Paschal mystery. In other words, there's a death and resurrection. Throughout the history of the Church, beginning from day one with the virulent persecutions and executions of the early Christians, it looked like this operation was going to come to a grinding halt. But there was a resurrection, and these lay people transformed the empire in 300 years. The Church has been marked by heresies and scandals. And usually there's a pattern. We can even look at the first one where they denied the divinity of Christ. The game is certainly over with that. Christ is not God. There's nothing we could do. Everything hinges on that. We call that the Arian heresy. There's an ecumenical council. Some of the proceedings we recite in mass on Sunday called the Nicene Creed. And then there's a flourishing of holiness just to name a few, the Fathers of the Church, St. Augustine, John Chrysostom, St. Jerome, St. Gregory of Nice, St. Basil, just a few of many, many great followers of our Lord. And every period, in a certain sense, is a dark age, a dark chapter. And the heels of those dark chapters there's a resurrection, there's a renewal. That's not because we may have a great theologian or even a very organized and hard-working prelate or priest, but because there are saints who emerge to renew the church. We have this crisis, which is serious, but the church will emerge because the church is divine. And the drill is kind of simple, but challenging. It's this personal relationship with Christ through prayer. It's incarnating the gospel. It's finding nourishment in the sacraments. And it's a consequence of struggling to be the face of Jesus, attracting people, the lay people. Not because of the scandals per se, but the scandals give it a special urgency must be the showpiece of the church, bringing the kingdom forward. We priests as well, but we're more in the background. You're in the trenches of the middle of the world. You're the face of the church. You're the solution. Sanctity is the solution. We turn to Our Lady, Mother of the Church. Pray for us. So we seize these special graces of these times and rise to the occasion of sanctity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, and to see for me, Holy Mary, our hope, handmaid of the Lord,